Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to IFHPodcastNetwork.com. Welcome to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, episode number 223. Start writing, no matter what. The water does not flow until the faucet is turned on. Louis L'Amour. Broadcasting from a dark, windowless room in Hollywood, when we really should be working on that next draft, it's the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, showing you the craft and business of screenwriting while teaching you how to make your screenplay bulletproof. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Now, today's show is sponsored by Bulletproof Script Coverage. Now, unlike other script coverage services, Bulletproof Script Coverage actually focuses on the kind of project you are and the goals of the project you are. So we actually break it down by three categories, micro-budget, indie film market, and studio film. There's no reason to get coverage from a reader that's used to reading tentpole movies when your movie's going to be done for $100,000. And we wanted to focus on that at Bulletproof Script Coverage. Our readers have worked with Marvel Studios, CAA, WME, NBC, HBO, Disney, Scott Free, Warner Brothers, The Blacklist, and many, many more. So if you need your screenplay or TV script covered by professional readers, head on over to CoverMyScreenplay.com. Well, guys, today on the show, we have author Jocelyn Jones and her new book, Artist, Awaken the Spirit Within, is a must-read for filmmakers, screenwriters, and any creatives that want to be able to tap into that kind of ether, to tap into your muse, and to be able to find the creative spirit within you. And her techniques are remarkable, and she's been an acting coach now, a legendary acting coach, for decades. She's worked with Clint Eastwood, and God, so many people, it's it's hard to keep track. But Jocelyn and I had a fantastic, fantastic conversation about the creative process, how to constantly be able to tap into that creative flow that we hear so much about and so much more. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Jocelyn Jones. I'd like to welcome the show, Jocelyn Jones. How are you doing, Jocelyn? I'm very good. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I am, I'm excited to talk to you. I think, you, I think we're going to have a conversation that's hopefully going to help some some uh, filmmakers, some screenwriters, some anybody in the business who wants to be creative and be an artist. And I think it's something that 
a lot of the things that you talk about in your book, your new book, Artists Awaken the Spirit Within, uh, is that uh, it's things that aren't talked about publicly very often about mental health, about negative talk, about self-talk, about beating yourself up, all these kind of things. But before we get into all of that, how did you get into this insane, insane business? Well, you know, I was a little bit born into it. Um, I was raised uh, on the Hudson River in an artist community. And so I was raised with extraordinary artists. My dad was an actor. So the first wave of artists at the dinner table were actors, and they are a breed unto themselves. And then my mother remarried, and the next wave, my, my stepfather wrote for The New Yorker, and the next wave of artists at the table were painters, and this was in the 60s. Uh, so you just go to the top of that food chain. You know, I don't drop a lot of names, um, but they were these extraordinary painters. And then, you know, there were dancers at the top of the field. I mean, everybody was at the top of their field. And I was young and I was impressionable and I was studying them. And I was very interested in, you know, when they were happy. We're going to talk about happy because... I happened to watch you flip the script and be interviewed by your friend, CB Bato, and talk about happiness. And I was like, yes, you're on to something there. <laughs> um, anyway, and so I was very interested. When they were happy, they were working. And when they weren't working, it wasn't just actors who, when actors go out of work, you know, they should really check into a hotel because they're very difficult to be around they get so concerned that they never work again. But it was also painters and it was, it was anyone who, like they're in the creative process and they are lit from within. And uh, because these guys were at the top of their field, they were lit with inspiration. It was something beyond themselves, which is kind of what the book is trying to hook people up to, anybody up to, but anyway, so there were all these actors and then, I left home at a very early age because I lived right outside Manhattan. And if you live near Manhattan, a breath away, you're like, I'm in the city. Bye-bye. I got to go. And, you know, when I was young and we moved to Manhattan, we still couldn't afford Manhattan, even, you know, 60s and 70s when it was not the same city as it is now. So we would live five girls in an apartment and, you know, work in, I don't know how many Second Avenue bars and wait tables and go on auditions and all of that. And at, at that time, I was really young and uh, I was discovered by Eileen Ford, who was a very big model leading agent at the time. And she saw something in me and she sent me out for test shots, they were called, which were, you know, photographers who <laughs> were trying to get laid, but they also wanted, you know, pictures and free models and upcoming models, whatever. They would take your picture. It was during blow up. So I don't know if you remember that movie, but you know, they were all, it was a pretty wild time. Uh, and I would bring these pictures back to Eileen Ford and she looked at them and said, Oh God, Jocelyn, you know, these are terrible. I, I, you look so sad. And nobody calls me up and says, I want the sad girl. Get me that sad girl. So she said, you have to do something. And so I started creating characters to be in front of a camera because I was really had a hard time with that black box, you know. Mm -hmm. 
And so she, I brought those pictures back. <laughs> she looked at her and she said, oh, you're an actor. And I said, no, 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 no. My dad's an actor. One of those in the family is enough. And she started sending me out on auditions. So she sent me out. My first audition was for a heroin addict for Mayor Lindsay's drug campaign. And uh, they were very real. They looked like documentaries. And uh, it won an award. I mean, I played the sad. It's perfect for the sad girl. I was about to say, perfect for the sad girl. Yeah, yeah. Good for the sad girl. So, uh, you know, that was that. That was the start of my journey toward acting. And I did a number of independent films. Uh, But in my, you know, I never loved acting. I, I mean, I love acting. I love the part of acting and building life from nothing. I love that. And I understood structure. But uh, I never, you know, you, you talked about how, you know, you found the podcast. It took you a while, but something you'd found home. It was like a calling. Suddenly you were happy, right? I was not happy as an actor. I, I, I'm a very private person. I didn't like having to audition. I like control in my life than putting my art in front of somebody and having them say, yeah, I like it. No, I don't. You know, I, I'm from New York. I had a little, you know, no thanks. <laughs> um, but more than that, all of this study of artists had settled in me. And I had a certain kind of leadership growing up that came from other things. And I thought teaching, you know, I, I got pregnant and I have a baby and being a mother and being a teacher sort of went together. And, you know, when you do that thing you're meant to do, you put one step on that path and things just start flowing really well, which is part of knowing, oh, I'm on the right path. So, you know, really, I was a teacher for 30 years. and. Uh, Teaching led to, you know, I worked with a lot of film stars on films and private coaching, and that led to script doctoring, and all of that was very, you know, confidential under non-disclosure agreements, but a lot of fun, very interesting work. And then uh, all of that led to one day deciding, you know, I think it's time to do, to leave something of my own. Because my whole life has been helping artists, and I love that, and it's right. But at some point, you have to look at yourself and say, am I avoiding, you know, mm-hmm. my, my own voice? And so, you know, my mom died. That's a whole evolution in a person's life. Everything stopped so I could say goodbye and then handle her affairs. And that's when I started writing the book. And, you know, Alex, I didn't want to write another acting book. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now back to the show. There's a lot of acting books. There's a couple. There's a couple. (laughs) So I started, you know, I don't know whether this is part of Indie Hustle, but, you know, I'm quite spiritual. And so part of what I had spotted with these artists was a kind of a spiritual connection, Uh, call it inspiration, call it the muse, call it spirit, call it whatever. But it's something beyond ego. It's something beyond personality. It's something in the ethos that great artists seem to tap into. Um, it's it's so funny you say that because I, you know as you know on the show I've had the pleasure of talking to some amazing guests and some very high performing you know Oscar winners Emmy winners Tony winners um, really high performing artists and I always love asking that question I always ask the question where does it come from for you <laughs> and the bigger the star the bigger the artist the more humble they are about their craft. It's so funny because I've met people who are so boastful about what they do. And you can tell that they'll burn out soon enough and they won't have any major legacy left behind. But the bigger the Oscar winner, the more Mm -hmm. humble they are because they are aware that in many ways, it's not them. It's coming through them, but it's, it's not them. It's coming through their filter if you will. So in many ways, and not to get too woo woo, but like I'm talking, I'm going to drop a name um, because I think it's important to the conversation. When I was speaking to Eric Roth, who's obviously the Oscar winning writer of Forrest Gump, and he just wrote Dune and he's doing okay for himself. Um, uh, Eric, I asked him specifically, I go, how did you, do you ever just sit down and write? And when you're done writing, you look at it and go, who wrote that? Like, it's not even, you can't even recognize it as your own. It just kind of flew through you. And he's like, yes. Oh, and I, and I search for that almost all the time, but I don't always get it. But when I'm able to tap in, it just flows through you and it's a magical thing. And I think any, I mean, as I, as I've written my books, there's moments where I've written entire chapters and then I go back to read it. I'm like, who wrote this? Like it, it it's almost like you're channeling something. As a great artist. And that goes for acting, writing, directing. It's being in the flow. Uh, athletes talk about it all the time. It's being in that moment where you don't think it just is. And it just kind of goes through you. And you already understand the craft enough that that's not a problem. Like if you're going to write, you have to understand English. You have to understand basic grammar. Um, but once those basic foundations are laid out, everything else is fairly magical. And 
that I always find that so interesting that they are all humbled. Uh, the, the biggest ones are the most humble about their process. And, and this is a hundred percent of the time I've asked this question. I don't care who it is. Everyone has imposter syndrome. It's fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone. I mean, I, again, I'll talk back, go to Eric Roth's interview. He's like, oh yeah, absolutely. I'm like, but you're, you're Eric Roth. You've won Oscars. You've worked on the biggest movies with the biggest director. I, I mean, and he's like, yeah, but I still, I still feel like at any moment, someone's going to walk in the door and go, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. So that's an artist thing, I think. I think most artists in general do that. Uh, do you agree? Well, it, uh, yes. I mean, I think there's an interesting explanation for it. First of all, I think intention is is such a really important thing. So when you're talking, uh, what you just said was so beautiful. When you're really okay. talking about structure, you're talking about technique, which builds structure, right? Mm-hmm. And when you, when an artist and those greats, and I've worked with a number of those huge, huge stars, which I'm just facilitating them to this space of inspiration, because the more structure you have, the more you can trust yourself. It's like building a house. An actor builds a life. He builds a life out of nothing. So you think of that as building a house. You have to put the structures together so you can live in it. So people are always talking about living in the moment. Well, living in the moment, most actors think of as improvisational, but it's not just improvisational. You have to build the house. You have to build the moment. So you are building moments. And then because of the structure of those moments, you trust them and you can fly from one moment to the next. Which is a book I like into rock hopping. I don't know if you ever spent any time in the country, but you know those big, wonderful streams with big rocks in them and they have them in the in the woods and not to move about. And my favorite thing to do was leap from one rock to another. So I spent years honing this concept for my students, which I still think is a little mad, but about how those rocks are like the structure. And you can only have the freedom of the leap. Because you've built the rock, you've created the rocks. And what do those rocks come out? And then we go into technique and such. So it is the intention to have that connection to the muse, to something beyond yourself. Um, So then we have ego. Mm -hmm. We have spirit. Now, we've got to have ego. We can't be, that's the whole point is like, I'm going to be separate from you. I'm going to have this ego. You're going to have that ego. We're energetic beings in bodies mm-hmm. and how we identify. We identify with ego, but we're really something much, much, much bigger than ego. But we have no education as to mm-hmm. how to connect to that at all. So these great artists of inspiration recognize that they are beyond ego. You have the actor who's all ego. It's all about being, you know, admired. And then you have the actor who sometimes accidentally trips into this space where they've entered a character and they've created this life before your very eyes and really entered, really gone in there. And they are living in those moments from the structure they built. They're living in those moments. And they realize they're bigger 
they're bigger than their personality. So then when somebody comes along and says, oh, you, Alex, you're so great, they feel like an imposter because I'm not that. Mm. Well, That's a great explanation. It, it's a That's fun a- no, it's really it's really interesting because that's a fantastic explanation of imposter syndrome because you're absolutely right. And if you've noticed, you know, with some actors over the course of their careers, you know, the greats like a Meryl Streep can just walk in and walk out and tap into that at will. Steven Spielberg as a director can tap into it. The great directors, the great writers, the great artists, they just tap in effort, almost effortlessly. At least it seems effortlessly from our point of view. And then there's, I love the way you say they trip into. So sometimes you see actors who trip into a performance and they, they just connect with that character, but they're never able to get back to that place in their career where they might even go all the way and win an Oscar or get a lot of accolades, but it's whatever stops them from getting back there, whether ego, whether it's outside sources, but it's really, and it happens in all, all, all aspects of the business from directors. Some directors make the most amazing film ever, you know, one of the most amazing, and then they can't get back there, you right. know, and, right. and writers, writers as well, novelists and writers. Well, you know, a lot of, that's a lot of what the book is about. It's not, it's about, it's intention. You have to intend it. So you have to kind of recognize this is what Spielberg and, you know, Meryl Streep and all these greats that you mentioned and like going to the painters and, and Michelangelo, you know, they recognize some sort of technique for themselves. And what works for you doesn't work for me, doesn't work for him, doesn't. Okay. You have to, to give artists a lot of different colors of techniques and realize that each one is going to respond differently and make their own toolkit. But once you have that technique, you have to intend. I want, I intend to go beyond myself. And if once you've had that experience, two things happen. You either intend to have that experience again and chase what it was, what combination that I put together that helped me do that, or you get lost in your own dramas. So now I'm going to go to a really kind of woohoo word, which mm-hmm. is vibration. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you're around enthusiastic people, you're like, yay, you know, we respond to, we are energetic beings and bodies and we respond to vibration, no matter how woo you want to get about it. That's the deal. And so we want to be around the reason that audiences love actors is because they're looking you know and they go that guy's creating life we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor hello it is ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day couldn't we just to make up for things like sitting in traffic doing the dishes counting your steps you know all the mundane stuff that is why i'm such a big fan of chumba casino Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now back to the show. When they do it right, and you're in the theater, the audience releases from their own life and enters this parallel universe, this parallel story. And then when they come back to their seats and they walk out of the theater, they go, Jesus, if that guy can create that much life out of thin air, maybe I could do a little better with my own. They are in to take control of their own life in some way. They recognize it, Isn't it fascinating? Because I've, I've had the pleasure of being in the room with some of the biggest movie stars in the world. And when you're in the room with them, mm-hmm. you understand why they're movie stars. There's just something about their energy in the room. And I've, I, I've met, and I won't name drop, but I have met some. And, and I walk in and just, and just being around them, you just go, oh, Oh, I get it. I truly, I truly get it. And it's, and, and, you know, when you want, and talking about the woo woo aspect of, you know, energy and vibrations of people and stuff, all you have to do is, and I know everybody listening has gone through this. You've met somebody in your life that after you got done talking to them, you wanted to take a shower because you feel slimy, dirty. It could be a salesman. It could be a customer sales rep. It could be, it could be a teacher. It could be anybody, you know, another person, just, you just feel, oh, yep. yeah. So whether you believe in the woo-woo energy or not, I think everyone's had that experience at one point or in life. Another, you just met somebody who you just, oh, I just don't want to be around that person. And then the vice versa, you meet somebody you're like, oh my god, I, they're just so much fun to be around. There's so much energy around them, yeah. and uh, it, it's it, there's something about that conversation. There's no question about it. Whether again you want to get into the woo-woo aspect of it or not, but I think everybody listening can agree that they've had that conversation. And if you ever do, anyone listening ever does get to sit in a room and have a meaningful conversation. And even through my show, having conversations over Zoom, you can sense why they are who they are. Some of these directors, some of these uh, filmmakers I've had the pleasure of talking to, you just go, wow, okay, I get, I get it. I, yeah. I get it. You know, and, and I've had the pleasure from the $5,000 first-time filmmaker who made his feature to Oscar winners and everyone in between, you can sense where they're coming from. It's really interesting. One thing in your book I wanted to talk to you about is the stories that we tell ourselves. And as artists, you know, being an artist, and it took me a long time to admit I was an artist, by the way. Uh, that's another problem. A lot of times, like, I'm not an artist. That's very pompous of you to say you're an artist. No, you've got to admit who you are. And once you admit that you are an artist, I think artists, specifically artists, 
have a special level of storytelling that they tell themselves because they are, especially people in the film industry and storytellers, because we're so good at it. <laughs> we're really good at beating ourselves up with these negative stories about what we're capable of doing, where we're going, what's up, and 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 beating yourself up when you don't get the part or don't get the, the job or don't get the financing. Or, and it's these stories we constantly tell ourselves. Can you dig in a little bit about why we do it and what we can do to kind of rewrite that story to help us move forward on our path? Oh, great question. Great question. Well, the why we do it is is pretty, pretty obvious. And when I say it, I don't know if people will get it or won't get it, but we like sensation, you know, as people like strong sensations. So, you know, you have drama queens, we call them drama queens. Oh, yeah. People who stir negative emotion, it's like an addiction. They're addicted to it. Why? Because of the sensations. Why do people take drugs? Because of sensations. We like sensations. So if you go, you know, I'm just going to keep doing it and you'll keep bringing me back. But if you go to this aspect that we are actually spiritual beings, of course, we like sensations. That's why we're here. We're mm -hmm. here to have experiences. Otherwise, we're out, you know, we're all spirit. We have no body. We have no none mm -hmm. of this tactile thing. So we're here for experience. And I think we're evolving and ascending even perhaps. And so we're going from just any old sensations to, hey, wait a minute. Maybe I can control this a little better. So some of the enthusiastic people you meet, they just seem naturally enthusiastic. They were well-loved as kids, or they just, most of the time they were well-loved as kids. And so they're settled in and they're confident and they're able to have uh, a, a just a more positive outlook on life and have more fun and we enjoy them. And so it propels itself. Um, but you can intend, decide that you want more of that. You can, most of the people who are listening to your show right now, my guess is they're of an age where they have already let go of certain friends because they go, I want to take oh. a shower after I'm with that person. I can't do it anymore, man. You know, they never ask you about yourself. They're not, you know, all complaint and the thing. And most of you heard a lot. Um, it's energy little, suckers, energy suckers. Yeah. They're energy suckers, but we can we can also like not judge them and just say, okay, cool. You want to go, but I'm not entering I'm that. that. Right. I'm not doing that because it's going to happen naturally in your life. I've discovered that most as you get my age, then the older people, you start losing your mom, you start losing your dad, you start recognizing the older people get, they will do this. They will pick up a lot of dust and a lot of negativity because it makes them feel alive. You know, my mother could get apoplectic about butter. It was like, honey, seriously, we're just making an egg here. You know, can we just go? And she was very dramatic. And it was, I would just, so, you know, I'm, I'm training myself. I'm training myself in meditation. I'm training myself in certain ways. And the biggest one is to observe people without judgment and to just look at what's going on. And then you kind of expand and you go, oh, okay, well, this person is doing this thing and it has nothing to do with me. And I can actually be kind of, uh, have some compassion and understanding for it because I've done the same thing. We've all done everything. We've done all those things. So um, 
Did that answer? It, it, it does. It does. It's, it's fascinating because, you know, we all look in our business, we run into uh, very unique characters, uh, to say the least. Uh, and I've had some of the most toxic human beings I've ever met in my life I've met in this business and some of the most beautiful people I've ever met in my life I've met in this business and everyone in between. And I've gotten to a place in my, uh, my elder years, <laughs> as I, as I call it, <laughs> Wait, I, have, I have a little gray, I have a little gray. I'm not, I, I'm not a kid anymore, but, um, but in my years walking the earth, I've, I've realized that the more times when someone is, blowing up on you or something like that, nine out of 10 times has nothing to do with you. Um, when you have a business partner or a producer on a project that is egocentric or wants control or wants uh, this or that, or wants tension or this, it has nothing to do with you. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's unfortunate because you're involved with them in a project that is both of yours. So you have to figure out how to maneuver that world, but it, Nine out of 10 times, it's not about you. And I've gotten to the place where I feel almost empathetic for people when they are acting that way. I'm like, what happened to them that they feel that they need to act that way? Because that doesn't just come up like that. There's some, if you start looking back, there's some deep seated stuff in their when they're ch children or in this business, like this business can chew people up and spit them out all day, every day. It could destroy lives. It has. I mean, if you go down to Hollywood Boulevard, it's literally shattered with souls of broken dreams down there. It, it, it is. Yeah. So it's not, it's not, I think it was David Chappelle. I was watching David Chappelle the other day and he said, I think he was in the actor studio interview uh, with Lipton. And he's like, there are no um, weak people in this business. If they're sitting on this stage with you, they are not weak people. It takes a special level of strength to make it in this industry at whatever level that is. And it doesn't have to be Oscar winning. It could just be making a living. He goes, yeah. there are no weak people in this business that, that sustain themselves. And I thought that was such an interesting and profound comment because you don't think of it that way, but it's absolutely true. You know it and I know it. If, you're, if you've made it in this business in any way you can, if you're making a living in this industry, you're not weak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it goes back to story, which that, that was the part of the question we didn't quite answer is what's with the stories that we hold on to, you know, right. the, the stories are there to, you know, to stimulate all this negative emotion to have these experiences. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now, back to the show. But the stories are also hurt, trapped pieces of self. You know, we're trained. You hurt my feelings, particularly if you're from New York. It's like, I don't care. Ask me. Right. I learned that very early. But you do care. And that and, and artists care more than anybody. They're highly, highly sensitive mm -hmm. to 
people get into that because it's my definition of artists that they're they're more sensitive and so they can pull this stuff out of the air but in that sensitivity they push a lot of things down and then people have experiences that are also horrific and they push those things they they overcome them but there are pieces of lost soul lost parts of themselves that they've shoved down underneath so people do therapy why to let some of that out and uh, you know this shaman call it so soul retrieval where you just create a space for a person to say ow this hurt this is what happened here are the tears i didn't cry you know mm-hmm. what i mean and in so doing when you just can listen to a person which is very rare in this day and age people haven't been taught how to listen you just listen to a paper person and intend to create this space for that part of themselves to be released so to speak you you know you create a whole new space in them to grow and understand that you know you're more than yourself when you're writing your book alex and it's that fluid it's you and you it's you and your higher self that connection mm-hmm. Wow. You know, I have trouble. I don't like to call this my book. You know, I call it the book because it's a little weird to see my book. You know, it's like, I feel like what is that wonderful movie with the fish and the seagull and it's mine, 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 finding Nemo. Yeah. Yeah. Finding Nemo. Mine, mine, my book. It's not, these are, you know, you want to help. That's mm-hmm. I, I saw this branding thing, you know, CB was asking, what is your brand? What is your brand? You went on two minutes. I loved it about, I was one of the two people listening. No, I was one of the many people listening because that's what we all want to do. We all, well, we all want to contribute in our way, you know? Well, that's the, that's, the, I feel that's the goal of life is to find out what that, that thing that you were put here to do and then do it. And right. we're so afraid of walking that path especially as artists, we're afraid of walking that path because, you know, there's been such a, a, a abuse of the artist over the course of millennia that, you know, the whole starving artist mythology and that you have to struggle to be a good artist and you have to be broke and, and all of these kind of these stories that have been told over the years. And I had, a, I had an author on years ago who said, real artists don't starve. And it, it was and he was he'd go back to like Michelangelo was extremely wealthy and in uh, Da Vinci was extremely like these were wealthy artists of their time. So it's kind of like a myth about that. You have to be a starving artist and so on and so forth. But we as artists do do truly have trouble walking that path. Like I told you earlier today, like earlier in this conversation, I took me a while to figure out that I was an artist, even though I was working in the business. I'm like, no, no, I'm just a director. I don't not an artist, you know, because I didn't want to admit that to myself because there was a lot of stories associated with being an artist. So once you accept that you are an artist and you want to express yourself in in, in another big problem I see in, in the business, and it's something I struggled with for a long time, is that so many artists believe that if they do not reach the highest pinnacle of their craft, they have failed. And that is such a horrible story to tell yourself. Like, I didn't direct my first feature until I was 40, not because I didn't have the skill set or the ability to do so, is because it had to be Reservoir Dogs. It had to be 
Pulp Fiction. It had to be Clerks. It had to be El Maria. It had to be a movie that exploded. And, you know, I have arrived kind of. And, and I think every filmmaker goes through that, that you have to, if you haven't won an Oscar, you really haven't made it. And it took me years to realize, I go, no, no. Are you making a living? What's the definition of success in your, and that's, you have to define that for yourself. And those are those moments in, in your career where you, let's say, win an Oscar, or win an award or work with a certain actor or work with a, a certain level of budget or so on and so forth. They're great, but they're fleeting. They're, you win the Oscar and then now what? And now you got to, you're back, you're back to it Monday morning, <laughs> you know? So it's about that journey and about really defining what success is for you as an artist. And that could be, and I use the analogy, if you're living in Kansas, making $50,000 a year, and that puts food on your table, pays your mortgage and supports your family as a filmmaker, I hate to tell you, you are a raving success. Raving because you're at the top, top echelon of filmmakers. Yeah. Well, let's define artists because, you know, that's the deal. Everybody, so we're very exclusive about what is an artist. We're so exclusive about what is an artist that you didn't want to admit that you were an artist. Right. You, know, so, you know, well, I don't know. That's an artist, but not, you said it beautifully. The stories we tell ourselves about what is an artist. An artist is the guy who wins the Academy Awards. I don't think so. So, you know, in my teaching, I was always like, I looked for definitions and I love dictionaries and I looked in a lot of, you know, I'm looking for this quintessential definition of artist and I couldn't come up with it. So I came up with my own, which is basically an artist. You have to discover an artist. It's the expression of your own discovery. So the artist, if he doesn't discover something, he's going to express something that somebody else already discovered. Mm-hmm. So it has to have happened to you. There has to have been an aha moment. You know, if you talk to painters, painters are fantastic because they look at things differently. They don't look at the tree. They look at the space in between the branches. They look at the space and they look at the negative space, you know. Um, so you have to have discovery before you can express something or it's going to be, um, you know, what is it called when it's a copy? There's a wonderful word for it, but I can't. Um, yeah, I got you. A clone. Not a representational, but there, you know, it's going to be a clone of, and there's nothing wrong with that. We kind of have to imitate things for a while before we get on our own feet, but you want to intend discovery. So all technique and my technique is usually in the form of questions, you know, where am I? What do I want? All those questions, but there's a way to get in there a little deeper. Um, you're, wait, you're asking the same question. And most people stop at the intellectual clever answer. Why? Mm. Because they think, oh, that'll look good. So they're operating from their ego, right? That'll look good. That'll sound good. That'll sell. You know, that'll be the so you, thing. So you're telling me that there's ego in the film industry? <laughs> <laughs> stop it. Guys that we really admire, you're not going to get rid of ego. We love our personalities. We spend our whole lives on them. But there's something beyond it. So even like I saw the 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 interview you did with Ed Burns, and Mm -hmm. you know, look at his love. Look at the size 
of his passion. And then look at the size of you responding to his passion and talking about these cameras. Oh, you worked on this kind of camera. Oh, you worked on that. And this, you know, the, the, the level of enthusiasm, if you had a, you know, one of those Geiger counters, it was just <laughs> charts. That is beyond ego. You have elevated into joy. Joy and creativity go hand in hand. So what is an artist? Okay, an artist is someone who's discovered something and has the desire to express it, period. Now, and I, 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 there's art in everyone. This is not popular because we want to have the artist's club. Mm-hmm. Here's the deal. We're not a club. You're in a body. You're creating a life. You got here on the planet. However you got here, you got here on the planet. And now you're running a life. And that life is either happening to you, you know, you're just going with the flow of what's coming in, or you are beginning to get the reins of your own life and say, you know, I'd like it to go like this. If you look at that interview with Ed Burns, he had a lot of, I'd like it to go like this. That's out ahead of yourself. That is creating it yourself. That is the story of, you know, the big woohoo word is manifestation, but that's a real deal. And you manifest the best at the highest vibrations, joy, enthusiasm, joy and creativity hand in hand. The guy who's not running his life is the guy who's taking hits. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. You know, right, left, and center. Life is happening to me. It sucks. It's terrible. I hate it. I guess it, but I'm so emotional. I hate you all. That's life happening to you. It's it's fascinating that I agree with everything you've said. Uh, but one thing I would add to the artist aspect is that that definition of being an artist is the courage to walk the path. And that is something that we as artists don't have. You might identify as an artist, but to walk the path of the artist is difficult to, and it took me a long time. I did everything else around myself. I I was in the, I was editing, I was doing other things, but not walking the path that I wanted to walk, which was being a director, being a filmmaker. But I surrounded myself and, and was working in the, in the orbit of others following their path. Mm-hmm. And I was helping them bring their art to, to life. And I thought that that was enough for many years for me until yeah. I realized I was so unhappy doing that. It was, so, it was very, so it's finding the courage to walk the path. And I'll go back to what you said earlier, that being an artist, I think every soul on the planet is an artist because they are creating their own lives. Now, I know that's might be woo-woo and a lot of people are like, oh, what happens with life happens to you and all that kind of stuff. I get all of that. Look, we've all gone through stuff, but we, I do truly believe that we create what we want in our life. You know, And it's all about, it's just like Henry Ford says, if you believe you can or you can't, you're right. And yeah. it's, you know, it, it, regardless, and we're not talking about the secret here or anything like that, but whatever you believe you achieve and yeah. it's if, if you're out of ego if you're out of ego and that is something that it's so interesting because again having the pleasure of talking to all these people i ask these questions of them and and i love listening to people's stories about how they made it in the business and how and it's so random yeah it's so random not one story is like another 
Um, I had, uh, and I'll drop her name, Eva Longoria, on the show a few, a few, a few months ago, and her story was the most ridiculous story to get into the business I have ever heard in my life. She got into a beauty contest, which she didn't want to do, but the, the first prize was books for school. So she just got in. She won it. She got the books, but because she won it, she had to go to like the state competition. And by the way, all her all her life, she was called La Feita, which means the ugly one. Her her mother, that was her nickname, the ugly one. So she was considered in her own story, in her own mind, that she was the ugly one in the family. Yeah. And and the parents like, don't do the beauty. Obviously, that was a fluke. Don't do. So she goes to the state, wins this, wins the state finals. And then the win the winning prize for that trip to LA. So she gets to LA and she goes, Hey, I like it here. I'm going to stay. Knows nobody. I'm going to stay. I'm going to try to be an actor. I think that'd be kind of fun. Literally, that's the. And then she got an apartment, got some roommates, hustled it out for a handful of years. And then one day at the end of like a 10 or 15 audition day, she goes in for Desperate Housewives. She's so pissed off. She's so everything. She's like, oh, whatever. I'm not going to get this part anyway. And because of that attitude, she gets the part and her life changes. It, it, there's no logic to that. But she did have intention. And she did. And, and a very high vibration, a very high. You know, when you say you meet these movie stars and there's something going. I mean, it is true. You meet different people. That it's like this one's been around longer. This one maybe is brand new. I don't know how many lifetimes here. I don't know how many <laughs> People are different. People are different. And those people have a very, like, you are. You feel it. You feel it. And you struck by, I mean, you know, it's science. We have a vibration that extends about eight feet. There's eight, I don't know, four feet, eight feet beyond our bodies. Right. And those people, even more so. You know, even like you walk in a room and you go like, boom, what's happening there? And it's also that's tricky for them, having worked very intimately with movie stars who have not trained because generally they come on the scene at a very young age. They don't train. Now everybody's powdering their nose and blowing air up their ass. And they get a little lost. And one of the reasons I was successful is because I really, because of all those people at the dining room table, I really don't care who you are. I think in my whole life, I only swooned over one guy ever, which was Cary Grant. I mean, come on, you know, Cary Grant. Cary Grant. It was like, oh, well, what did you? But, but you also. But these other guys, you know, they're lost and they're getting powder puffs. They have this big energy, but they get sucked up into their own ego because everybody's treating them in a, in a, you know, in a. And you see, and you see it again and again. You see these stories of artists uh, in every level, director, writer. They just kind of fizz, they burn out. A lot of times they'll just they're like a star. They'll burn out. I mean, uh, I mean. A great example of it, it was Lindsay Lohan, who was such an amazing actress, yeah. such an amazing actress. And to see what happened to her over the course of her career was tragic to watch. But I mean, you see some of her early work and you're just like, she's a powerhouse. Like oh, she yeah. could have, she could have, oh my God, the things that she could have done. Tom Sizemore, yeah. another one who worked yeah. with every, um, Spielberg, Scorsese, Camera, like every big director 
yeah. the world. And he was an amazing actor, burned out. And yeah. What happened though? What was the burnout? The burnout was like lost in ego. Well, yeah, but that's what we, that's what, that, that's the main problem that we have as artists is, I mean, I think as human beings is we have to get, get a hold of our egos. We all have it, you know, and, and, and it's very, I always say that we have a, like an MMA fighter on our shoulder and he's quiet. They're waiting for the moment of weakness. And that's when they just pounds you because you just like, you're like, I got you under control. I got you under control. I got you under control. And some, someone goes, Hey, you look really good today. I think you could be the next this or that. And you're like, huh? What? Boom. There it comes. <laughs> it just comes and knocks you down. You're like, Oh, there it is. I got you now. It just well, waits there. It waits. <laughs> I used to tell my students, that, you know, they talk about their talent, which I, you know, always kind of flip my stomach a little bit. Well, you know, my talent is something that my talent and go, you know, I'm going to tell you something very unpopular here. I don't believe you are your talent. I don't believe the actor's talent is the actor's talent. I believe that artists are the, the most sensitive people on the planet. And that level of sensitivity allows them to connect to their higher selves, allows them to connect to the muse, allows them to connect inspiration, allows them to connect to the ethos and things floating around that need to be expressed on the planet right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But without acknowledging that, when you do have that kind of inspiration, take a young Lindsay Lohan and you don't acknowledge that and you take it all to yourself, and say me it's me it's me not good it's like you're not acknowledging a very high conversation and a part of you knows that and a part of you will begin to destroy yourself because you are letting go of the most important mm -hmm. that you were given which is that connection so, so that connection it's so funny. I have a great story. I, I, I don't know who told me this story, but it was a Michael Jackson story. And mm -hmm. that Michael, I think it was either Michael or no, it was a Prince story. Excuse me. It's a Prince story. Okay. And Prince called up his, um, you know, he, he obviously famously has recorded 6,000 songs that never got released. We will have a new Prince album every year until the year 3000. Wow. That's how many songs are in his vault. He was a, the level of genius is beyond what he was able. And I had the pleasure of working with some people who were very close to him. And I heard all these amazing stories. But one story I always stuck out of my head was he would just call you at three o'clock in the morning as a singer, a backup singer, go, hey, meet me at the at the studio. I have a song to record. And like, but Prince, can this wait till six or eight in the morning? It's three o'clock in the morning. He's like, no, we have to do it now because if I don't record it, it's going to go to Michael Jackson. Yes. <laughs> I know the story on several fronts. They talk about that. They yeah. He's like, if I don't, Spielberg does it too. Spielberg has said this publicly in interviews. He's like, when I get an idea for a movie, I understand that if I don't act on it, it will go to someone else within a month or two. And he's like, it's never failed that when I've let go of an idea, Three months later, I'm reading about that idea in the trades and I've told nobody about it. Yes, it's in the air. It's in the ethos. My favorite of those stories is about a poet, a woman poet. And I can't remember her name because that's my age. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. 
And she's, she lived in the Midwest. And so she's out in the field, in her gardens, in her fields. And she feels this poem coming on like a storm would roll in this this and she knows it and she knows that feeling and so she takes off toward the house and she's trucking toward the house running running to chase because she knows if she doesn't get back to the house and she doesn't get a piece of paper and she doesn't get a piece of paper and so that poem is going to go right by her and on to another poet and so she gets home and she gets her this and she grabs a paper, she grabs a pencil and she starts writing. And she said she grabbed it by the tail and hauled it in. Oh, my God. Came out backwards. And then she had to reverse the poem. Wow. This, this, that's the ethos. That's, you know. And so let's talk about how, because this is what I wanted to do in the book. How do you optimize that how do you make your chance of being able to be in that space and so here's all the technique and the questions and you have to have that as an actor because you're teaching someone to know that they know how to go about a thing so that that way you know they don't do a great big movie and it's fantastic and then they have to reinvent the wheel every time so you have to give them some you know some structure so they know that they know but how do you get to that place where you can intend and experience that opening more, that inspiration more, that flow. So you know as a writer and I know as a writer, we'll probably do certain things every time we go to write and those things kind of set up a certain thing and then we hope that flow comes in and we start, right? Well, I guarantee you, when you look at those things that you are doing, you are in the present moment. You are not thinking or you are intending to get away from those thoughts about all of that stuff. So you can be here now in the moment. So in the book, I talk about this stuff that's been around forever. Meditation is not woohoo. It's just a really simple way to just settle in. We have so much noise going on. Between, you know, I mean, come on with the television and the media and the screens and the phones and the every there's so much noise and everyone wants our attention and we don't even know what the truth is anymore. So my whole book was about there's only one truth and that truth is your truth. That's a connection to yourself. You have the perfect barometer for knowing what's true. If you can only connect to, I call it your heart. You can call it the muse. You can call it your soul. You can call it just that space being in the present moment. It's all the same thing. You can get there from many different kinds of meditation, from meditating to sports to, you know, people talk about all kinds of different meditations for themselves. You can get there. I teach actors. This is the greatest exercise in the world, and it's great for the planet. Just to observe life without judgment. Use your intention to just observe what's in front of you without judging. And then when you judge it, just like meditation, you go, oh, look, I'm judging it. So then you become aware that you're judging. And that flexes a muscle. It's like going to the gym, you know. Um, Nature. You know, you can't stand in front of the ocean and think too much, you know, because that thing's going to come in and go, hello. You know, no. how to, you know, th- that wave is fat. I could tell that wave is fat. Yeah. It's, 
that wave, that wave is ugly. It didn't crest the right way. You never do that. You never no. go looking at a tree and go, wow, that tree was ugly, man. Ugly. That's an ugly tree. Like, I have actually done that once or twice, but the tree was pretty gnarly looking. Um, <laughs> it came out of a Tim Burton movie. But, um, but, but, but generally speaking, when you're in nature, you don't judge a bird or, you know, you generally don't judge that. You just, it is what it is. And, you know, in my, in my work, I've, I've realized that things don't have a negative or a positive charge. We are the ones who apply the negative charge or positive charge to it. And I love using the example of a, a fender bender. When you get into a fender bender, the person who you're driving, everyone's safe, but you get an offender bender. You're like, oh my God, this is going to cost me like a thousand dollars to get this repaired. So for you, this has been an absolutely negative wow. experience. You take it to the mechanic and the mechanic in the, in the body shop and they're like, ah, this is fantastic. I got more work. So the, the exact same event, yes. two different perspectives. So when you're looking at life and looking at certain things that happen to you, especially on your artistic journey, it is what it is. You can't it's not personal. It's not just like, you know, oh, I didn't get the, fi the financing fell through. It is, it, it, it is what it is. You being depressed about it or angry about it, it doesn't help you. It doesn't help the situation. If there's something you can learn from it, learn from it, grab those, tech, those, new, those new lessons and move on and to keep going. But, you, but sticking and hold, and this is something we do, I mean, at least I did as an artist, you hold on to like, I didn't get into that film festival. I didn't get that agent. I didn't get that actor attached to the project. That, and it just throws you for a loop and you start telling yourself these stories. Is it you? They don't want to work with me. I'm a fraud. It's, it's all in your head. Supposed trust. There is the possibility when you get into the fender bender and the guy's like happy because he has more work and you're pissed off because you spent, you know, a thousand dollars. However, there's also the added element of, by the way, you were about to cross 96th Street and there was a huge accident right in the middle of 96th Street that you would have been directly hit. Or, oh, you didn't get that movie, but then if you'd gotten that movie, you wouldn't have met your wife. Or, you know, there is this beautiful thing of trusting because this is part of creating your own life. I'm in exactly the right place to learn the next thing that I have to learn to get to this goal that I'm trying to get to. And that element is trust. You know, it, it's just so funny because uh, I've written about this before where I was, I got into the top 25 of a, a show called Project Greenlight. Uh, Project what? Greenlight, the, the old. Project Greenlight. Yes, Project Green. I was in second season. I'm in the first oh. 30 seconds of the show. Um, uh, and they just used a clip of me, but I made it to the top 25 that year. I almost made it in. I had like, I went to as far as you could get until they chose the top 10 or whatever it was. And I didn't make it. And I was devastated, absolutely devastated because you're like, oh my God, this was such a great opportunity. I missed my shot to be on this amazing show. And Every filmmaker that made it out of that show didn't do anything, and it pretty much torpedoed their careers. Then I did another one called On the Lot, which was Steven Spielberg's show, which was mm -hmm. about directors. It was on NBC for a season. I got flown out. I, did, I was right at the, at the tip end again. 
didn't get in. Devastated me. The guys who made it through that show destroyed their careers, never got to do anything else again. So I was so just grateful that I didn't get on those shows, but that's only in hindsight. That Because at the moment, you feel like it's the worst thing that could ever have happened to you. But most of the time, and this is just me talking about my own experience, most of the times when bad things happen in, in life to you, generally speaking, and this is, again, my, my personal experience, when you go looking back, you can see the dots or how you connected the dots, what happened because of this, what happened because of that. I'll tell you one other story. When I was coming up, when I was coming up, I, uh, I spent about $50,000 for my director's reel. Uh, shot it on 35 millimeter because there was no digital yet. That's how old I am. So I shot the whole thing, did my whole commercial demo reel. And the, um, the, the DPs that I hired, and I, and I used the word DPs because there was two of them on one show. How many times have you seen that ever happen in, in the business? But I didn't know any better. Uh, and they were horrible. And I shot like a $15,000 commercial. It looked horrible. It was, it was bad. And I wasn't, I had no place of money to get more money. So I was like, oh my God, I guess I'm going to have to deal with this. Well, so happens that in the lab, the lab broke down and burned all of that film. It just, it just, it sat in the, it sat in the, in the, in the chemicals and burned. It broke down just on my commercial. And only like a few things, like, like, like a quarter of a reel survived. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And I was like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I've lost $15,000. I, I went back, reshot the whole thing with a, a, a real DP. It came out beautiful, got me work as a director, and I moved forward. It was kind of like the universe was saying, we don't want this out there. We need to burn this because this is not going to be good for you or your career. We need to get rid of this. It's going to be a little painful right now, but in the yeah. long run, it's the best thing that could have happened to you. So these are the kind of stories. That you, and you, again, as you get older, you start looking back at your life and you just start going, huh, that girl that dumped me, probably the best thing that happened to me. That girl that I... <laughs> That girl that I didn't get to go out with, probably the best thing that, you know, because then you hear other stories of like, oh, yeah, she turned into a psycho with one of your friends. You're like, oh, God, thank God I dodged that bullet. These kind of things. You start seeing these things and you just start realizing, oh, there's something there's something. And I look and this is me getting a little woo woo. I believe the universe is a good universe. I believe the universe is here to kind of guide you in the direction that you are supposed to go on, because I've just seen it so many times. Like if you would have told me. 20 years ago, you're going to be a podcaster talking to some of the greatest filmmakers of all time. I'll be going, first of all, what's a podcast? Secondly, <laughs> you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. And look where I am today. And then all, and it's so funny. And I've said this on the show before. It's fascinating that for so many years, all I would have done was to kill to speak to people like yourself, people that are in my show, to have that kind of connection to people that could quote unquote, help me make it in the business, let's say. And then without trying, now they're calling me. <laughs> and the funny thing is that I have a fairly decent Rolodex and yet I don't ever call anybody <laughs> to ask them for help with my projects or anything because it's just not something I want to do. It's not the kind of relationships I'm building with them. If it's organic, it's different, but it's not like 
when I was like the desperate filmmaker, I would have like called up, hey, can, can you can you connect me to your agent? It's so fascinating to me that that's the, re- the reality that I'm in right now. And, you know, and, and people listening to the show who've been with me for seven years can see the transition from my very first episodes to where I am today and what we're doing. But anyway, we've gone off tangent a little bit here. But, but not really because I love the way you say that's not something I want to do. Because it's somewhere in you, that's what you wanted. This is a really important thing. Mm-hmm. The first indicator, you know, my dad asked me when I was like a really just an acting out terrible teenager. My dad asked me this question. He said, you know, Jossie, if you could have anything in the world, barring all obstacles, what would that be? And at the time I said, well, I don't want to go to boarding school. I want to live with you at the beach and, you know, go to public school. And, you know, we could, I couldn't do that at the time because he was an actor and he was on location. He was terrified of me. I, you know, he was, he was a single parent and he's a, my mother had sent me to live with him at 13 and said, you take care of her. She scares me. So he said, you got to go to boarding school. But then I got kicked out of boarding school. So I got what I wanted, uh, not in the best way, but we get what we want. So the trick be is careful. Be careful. The trick is to listen to what is that, to be able to ask yourself somewhere along the line to get to this podcast. You had asked yourself and you had answered the question and you'd moved toward that podcast and you discovered that, hey, this thing makes me really happy. More than oil and vinegar is the podcast. I'm really, you know, and I can contribute here and this is the real purpose. We get what we want. So the trick is to like ask that question, wait for an answer that moves in you, not an intellectual one, but one that's exciting to you. And then, you know, move toward that with actions every day and trust, you know, and that's what actors do. That's why I could take all the lessons that I gave actors and plug them into people and say, look, you can have a more artistic life. You can have a more joyous life. You can have more control over your life using these same techniques that, you, that actors use to create a life. You can use those techniques to create your life. It's so fascinating because so many, uh, you know, talking to so many different filmmakers over the years and, and analyzing my own career, there's moments that you are creating a project, let's say, because you believe that that's what the market wants. Mm-hmm. or that's going to take you to the next level, or you, you are trying to intellectualize the craft. Mm-hmm. Not one successful filmmaker or writer, in my experience on this show, has ever done anything substantial when they chase the market or when they're trying to intellectualize their craft. When they do something that is meaningful to them and is truly coming from inside of them, it's something that needs to come out of them. That is the the key to success. But to have the courage to do it, and that's what these great artists do, is they have the courage to go out there and fail. They have the courage to go out there and make whatever they want to make, and that might be ahead of their time. Every single Stanley Kubrick film did not hit their audience when it came out. It took uh, generally, it's about 10 years later. Every one of his films, about 10 years later, is when they really go back and go, holy crap, that's the definitive film in that genre. Yeah. Yeah. And to have the bravery to do that again and again and again. And 
you know, it's funny because if you if you study Spielberg's career, and I love, I mean, who doesn't love Steven? Um, but he had such a run in the 70s from Jaws to Close Encounters. And then he's like, I can do, then, then you can see where it went wrong for a second, 1941. If you remember 1941? I do. I, I liked 1941. I know, but in, I, I enjoyed it as well, but it wasn't, it wasn't something that, it was obviously one of the biggest failures of his career. And he, he does not talk about it, <laughs> but he learned a lot from that. I mean, don't get, don't feel too bad. He did Raiders right afterwards, so he's okay. Yeah. But it was something that went astray. Something went off, and I think, and I think he said somewhere in an interview once. At that point, he felt that he could do almost no wrong because at that point, there's so many people. It's like you are the greatest. You are the best thing since sliced bread. At a point, he's like, hey, I can't do anything. I'm gonna. I'm going to do my Dr. Strange love, uh, Dr. Strange love. That's what that was. It was his Dr. Strange love. He wanted to do Dr. Strange love. Did that movie, you know, it's always the question is, did you make the movie you wanted to make? I mean, I've asked more filmmakers that. <laughs> and then right. sometimes they say yes. And it was a fit, you know, and, and it makes them go, yeah, it was, but I wanted to, and sometimes they go, actually not really. Um, but I want to go back to courage because there's a wonderful definition for courage, which is, you know, what is courage? How do you get courage? So you think you kind of like to get courage off. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to get the courage. There's even an expression, I'm going to get the courage to do this thing. You don't get courage. You actually, if you think of a doorway, if you think of a threshold, you walk through the threshold and courage shakes your hand on halfway through and pulls you in. You know, you have to. You have to move toward it. So I'm, you know, because of 30 years of teaching, I don't believe like this one has courage. This one doesn't have courage. You have, you certainly, I'm not successful with all of them. There's certain ingredients that you can't teach. You can inspire courage though. You can inspire it. Sometimes somebody's just waiting for that one person to kind of make it go click in their head and they'll move toward it. It's a tricky one though. Courage, you're right. But Courage and then also just dealing with fear and dealing. I mean, I think fear in general, as as people walking the planet, we all deal with fear and having it stops us. It stops us from moving forward. It stops us in directions that we need to go to. And, and, and I'm talking about fears of a tiger. That's fine. Uh, fear of a bear in the room. Definitely good. I'm talking about that. <laughs> I'm, talking, I'm yeah. talking about that other fear that stops you from going down the road to write that script, to make that movie, to go to that audition, to whatever that, you know, paint that painting, whatever that fear is of ridicule, fear of not being accepted, fear of your family not accepting you or your peers not accepting you, all of that kind of fear. When you can break through that, that's when, that's when the breakthroughs happen. And it took me a long time. Alex, but channel it. You know, great actors talk about, you know, they're great actors and they talk about, I thought I was going to throw up. I mean, opening nights are, oh, yeah. but what happens is, is you kind of collect it and channel it. So when you teach young people about fear, or sometimes, as you said, I've had 70 year old people come and say, I want to be an actor, which is wonderful. <laughs> That's awesome. And created acting careers for them. Um, but when you, you tell them these fears are absolutely natural, you, you of know, course. those fears. Now what you want to do is accept them and channel them into the work. They're just your talent looking for an avenue, because once you step out on stage, you're fine. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. 
And now back to the show. Once the camera rolls, you've got some place to go with it. Right? Yeah. And I, and I, I do that because uh, the, the uh, camera. Um, so the, um, there was this great story of Peter Fonda who would go on on stage every night and right before every performance, he would throw up in the corner, every performance. And he's Peter Fonda. Yeah. So if Peter Fonda has issues uh, and is nervous before a performance, yeah. that's a, the natural part of life. That's a part yeah. of being the artist. Yeah. I remember having a panic attack on my first day directing my first short film that mm-hmm. I was like, arguably one of the bigger things I've done at that moment in my career. And it was, and I literally had a panic attack. I was like, it, it got into my own head. And I had like, I went to, I'm like, I, I didn't do it on set. Thank God. I said, Hey guys, I got to go to the bathroom went out for about 10 or 15 minutes while they set up a shot and had yeah. my own panic attack quietly in the bathroom and started breathing, uh, started meditating. And I didn't even know what meditating was. I was like, I'm just going to do whatever I've seen on a movie, closed my eyes and started deep breathing and then slowly calmed myself to the point where I got back out on, on set because it was just so overwhelming as a director, a set can be a very overwhelming place for an actor. A set yeah. can be a very overwhelming place. And having to deal with that kind of pressure, it takes a special set of skills, experience, and person to do yeah. that. That's why I've seen directors make one and they're done because they, they're like, I can't go through that again. Yeah. Or an actor who goes through, I, 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 can't, I can't do that again. It's, it's a special, like I love being on set. I yeah. love it. I absolutely love being on set. I love working with other people. I love all the, the the insanity that goes along with it and trying to figure out the day and figure out the performance and creating. It's art at the highest level, I feel, because there's a, you're combining with so many other great artists to come together to make one piece of art. Uh, it is is one of my favorite places to be, but I can see where people just don't have it. They just don't have that thing. That And, and like you said, it'll work itself out. If it's how bad, how bad do you want it? Is this for you? And maybe you just have to test it to see, look, I had to open up an olive oil and vinegar store and go down that path for three years to figure out, you know what? Retail, not for me. Uh, Yeah. I mean, you do. And, and all of it adds up. It all adds up, but you are right. The filmmaking industry is very, very special. You know, my husband was a director and uh, directed a lot of episodic, uh, hour-long episodic and uh, dramas. And uh, then he taught at USC, and he was from USC, and uh, he taught at USC. And he's just, the greatest thing about USC is you have to do everything. Those young filmmakers are all, but except they have brilliant equipment, but they're all little guerrilla filmmakers. And you put them in pods of three and five, and you have to do the sound, and you have to be the cameraman. Mm-hmm. And you may not think you want to do that thing at all. And then suddenly you realize, I mean, one of his best friends from film school ended up being an Academy Award winning sound man. He thought they all think they want to be directors. But then everybody wants to be a director. Everybody wants to be an actor. But he brought that uh, wonderful syllabus that he brought to our acting studio and we had actors, you know, making these films to discover what it's like. And we made directors, you know, out of the 30 actors who took that film course, maybe five of them are now professionally directing. So you have to be exposed to these, you know, everything because, you know, who knows? You, you might want to 
costumer. You might want to be the cinematographer. If you've never picked up a camera, how are you going to know? And we won't go into, you know, education because I really, you know, that it, it's true with all education. What if we just talked to little kids and said, what is it that you think you want to do? Well, let's try that out. And what, you know, the, the big question, if you could have anything you wanted barring all obstacles, what would that be? What do you think that would be? I mean, I wanted to be an astronaut, but that's uh, at five. I wanted to be an astronaut. Probably wouldn't have worked out really well for me. Um, but. Uh, you know, I, that kind of made its way. Uh, it, it, it worked. Why are you flying? You know, I'm not, you're fine. I'm, I'm not particularly good in math. Uh, I don't have that kind of mind. I'd be a very creative astronaut, uh, <laughs> but I, I wouldn't have been an astronaut to say the least. But yeah, you're right. You have to be exposed to some things, and just think. And also, and this is a very difficult thing for some people to hear. Let's say you've had a dream of doing something, and you've mm -hmm. had it since you were a child. And you go down the path and it doesn't work out exactly the way you want, because nothing ever works out exactly the way you want it, because that's just life. And you real and then to come to grips with like, you know, maybe, maybe this is not what I want. Maybe it's I want to be a sound guy or a gal. And maybe I want to do that. Maybe what I really want is to write. Maybe that's where I find. But I, for the last 10 years of my career, all I wanted to do is direct, but that's not working out the way I want it to work out. Maybe. I really enjoy the writing process. Maybe I should be. That's a difficult um, crossroads for artists um, to be. But if you accept the fact that you're better at what you do because of what you did. Oh, so you may I, have thought you wanted that thing and you did all that extra stuff and you learned all that stuff. But then you came to this thing. And if you just come to this thing, you wouldn't be as good. Jocelyn, I wouldn't have a show today unless I would have gone to the 25 years plus of, of shrapnel that I've gone through in exactly. this business. And, you know, I direct when I want to direct. I make my movies when I want to make my movies, but I'm so happy doing what I'm doing. Everyone's like, when are you going to make another movie? I'm like, when I'm ready, yeah. when, when, I, when I'm good, when I'm ready to do it and I'll do it. And, you know, I, I like writing books now. I like doing this. I like building companies. These are things that make me happy and I'm helping people. So I was like, that's okay. I have never given up on my directing. I think it's always going to be something I want to do because I love its addiction. It's the, the beautiful illness, as I call it, um, because we just can't get rid of it. It's, it's an, and it's an illness. <laughs> in many ways. But then you go back to what is the definition of success? It can't just be the Academy Award. It's too small. No. So right. it's again that exclusivity, that ego that says you're not, if you haven't, she's better than he is because she had a series for seven years and he's just starting out. It, it, it just can't be that way. That's not success, success. But the girl who has the series for seven years isn't nearly as happy as this guy who just booked his first, you know, five lines on a show. And he's like, I set out to do it and I did it. And I'm 70 years old and I'm acting for the first time in my life. You know, it, it's really about how are you doing day to day? Up in the morning, do you, are you making as many of right. your own choices? I'm living where I want to live. I'm seeing who I want to see. I'm married to who I want to marry to. And my kids are doing great. You know, these are the components of successful life. Um, mm -hmm. And, and all of those are under our control. Yeah, absolutely. Without question. Now, can you tell me where people can find uh, your amazing book, The Artist Awaken the Spirit Within? You can find it on Amazon or any place that uh, books are sold. 
Okay. Um, also have a website, jocelynjonesstudio.com. And we are coming out with a 15-part documentary series on a masterclass that we shot with three cameras that is amazing, that has actors who've studied with me for 20, 25 years and brand new people because that's what I like to do. And they are extraordinary. I don't, I've never seen anything like this where we you went in with three cameras and shot an acting class. And, you know, we did that in eight weeks. And it's really quite beautiful, if I do say so myself. I, I don't know what we were doing. I just thought, well, why don't we? And, you know, just like all filmmaking, I thought, you know, you're a director, Miles, my husband, and we did this film class. Let's put some cameras in these people's hands. And figure it out. And figure it out. And now we've been editing it for three years and discovered, oh, this is really a, a celebration of actors and acting. It's, it's That's amazing. Lovely. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you a few questions. I ask all my guests, what yes. advice would you give a, I would normally ask a filmmaker or a screenwriter, but an artist trying to break into the business. An artist trying to break into the business. I would really find a way to get in conversation with yourself. I would find your own autonomy. I, I would take counsel from one person and one person only, particularly as an artist, and that is yourself. And so meditation can help doing that. Just taking in nature, because nature will stop your thinking a little bit, because she's just, you know, you go, oh, look at this, and create that space to ask yourself these questions. What do I want? And believe that you can have them. But they have to come from you. Nobody can tell you anything. What is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film industry or in life? A judgment. Judgment. I came from a very, very, that's a great question. Ah, oh, it made me emotional. I came from a very judgmental family and I'm wow. very proud of, and artists are very judgmental. Oh. Proud of the fact that I practice that every day in every conversation, just creating space for that other person to be, to listen to them and let them be who they are. And three of your favorite films of all time. Well, it's interesting because you said you mentioned Spielberg, and my favorite Spielberg film is Empire of the Sun. Oh, I, so beautiful. What the, oh, that film just knocks me out. And then, you know, for some reason, I mean, there's so many, but for some reason, I'd have to say To Kill a Mockingbird, because that, as a child, is one of the first films I just entered into a world and didn't come out of forever. And uh, hmm, third one, uh, God, it's gone completely. Oh, Truffaut. Oh, you know what it is? Remember the film? I think it's Lelouch where the couple doesn't meet each other. He has a life and she has a life mm -hmm. and see them in the restaurant and they pass each other. I think it's happy. Is it happy new year? And anyway, at the end of the film, they get on an airplane. You go, Oh my God, they're finally going to meet it. You see their luggage go up. But you know, this film I'm talking about. It's I, I, I'm familiar with it. Yes. Yeah. I forgot the name of it, but yes. Beautiful. 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 I would say that's my third all time. Jo uh, Jocelyn, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on the show and writing this book. And hopefully this episode has helped some filmmakers, some screenwriters, some artists out there uh, look inside themselves to figure out what they need to do to truly be an artist, to truly make a living in this business and connecting to their 
to their true purpose of what they're trying to do here on earth. So I, I truly appreciate you, my dear. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alex. It's been a tremendous honor to be on here. I, I love your show. And I thought, wow, he's interested in this book. I love that. So always a pleasure to listen to you and even more of a pleasure to talk. I want to thank Jocelyn so much for coming on the show and dropping her knowledge bombs on the tribe today. Thank you so much, Jocelyn. If you want to pick up her new book, Artist, all you need to do is head over to the show notes at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash 223. Thank you so much for listening, guys. As always, keep on writing no matter what. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv. 